And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Starcast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. In today's episode, we check in with Lars Pohlmann of Yellow Wallpot to discuss the fallout from BVB's 3-0 derby win over Schalke and we find out why Favre won't be the figure that Dortmund will love until the end of time. The world's biggest Ahmed Kutucci aficionado Kevin Hatchard is on hand to offer a royal blue view of proceedings and Christoph Bierman is also on board once more to tell us about mutiny and the not-so-good ship that is Hertha. On top of that, we talk Leipzig going strong, Gladbach being on song and Bayern carrying on. It's all here in the Starcast pod. Welcome, dear listener, and welcome Lars, Kevin and Christoph. We'll dive headlong into the derby in a second, but before that, here's your weekly reminder that you can listen to this pod ad-free and read all The Athletic's excellent football content for just £1 a month at the moment. Go to theathletic.com slash pod to sign up. Lance, I want to start with you, um, Borussia Dortmund, up and close and personal, as far as you're concerned. How pleased were you with a very competent and very aggressive Borussia Dortmund performance in that 3-0 win against Schalke in the Ruhr derby? I mean, quite pleased and not very pleased at the same time, just because the Revier derby takes more aggression from both sides to make it an entertaining fixture. Given Schalke's absolute ineptitude at the moment, there wasn't really much to fret over from a Dortmund perspective. I mean, as soon as they scored the first goal, the game was basically over and there wasn't at any point the, the, the danger of Schalke nicking a, a real result there. So from from that perspective, it was a bit dull in a sense but uh, looking only at the performance of Dortmund that was certainly pleasing especially considering how poorly they had played uh, against Lazio in the midweek fixture um, it was really a difference of night and day and far too often obviously this is kind of the difference between Dortmund away from home and at home but you know the changes far from made the changes in attitude also from the players that was certainly encouraging, but also always with the caveat that Schalke are so poor that there's not really too much to take away from the opponent's perspective. Why is it that Dortmund can't play more often like that? We know that if you combine talent and quality with that sort of attitude, the work rate, the aggression, it makes for winning combination, but they don't seem to be doing that too many times at least not consistently yeah i mean <laughs> that's the the million dollar question that they've not been able to answer for a number of years now i would say i don't know when the the last season was uh, probably the first year under tuchel where everything clicked for more than six months basically i think there's certainly an element of uh, Favre's personality not being a great fit for the team Dortmund have assembled. I think the, the, the football that he prefers is not one that necessarily is the best for the kind of players they have in, in their team. 
I think they would be better off probably with a more aggressive approach that makes use of all those young legs that are still fresh and hungry. It's it's also too easy, obviously, to always go to uh, you know the head coach and say he's he's at fault for everything. I think the buck doesn't stop at the head coach at Dortmund. I think there's deeper issues. I think they are a bit too comfortable being you know the the second lighthouse, as Hans Joachim Watzke, the CEO, would say behind Bayern. Obviously, you can't really you know attack Bayern. I mean people watching the Champions League know how good they are and what Dortmund are up against. But I, I still think that Dortmund from time to time are a bit too complacent and, and, and comfortable being, you know, second fiddle in Germany. Christoph, I think that's your moment to come in <laughs> and to defend Lucien again. Uh, uh, maybe we also uh, get a bit tired in, in, in defending him. But, but when, we, when we look at the players, maybe they aren't enough players and maybe Dortmund hasn't been looking enough for players who have this kind of always want to win mentality. I mean, you have uh, players, it's obvious with Haaland, it's obvious also I think with Mats Hummels, uh, who had a great career and uh, had been winning a lot of titles. But but when you when you look around, there are a lot of good players, but they don't actually have the a story to tell uh, that is about winning. I mean, uh, Alex Witzel, for example, comes to mind, who decided to go to Russia and to China and, and so on. Not, I think, not for sporting uh, purposes, but uh, to, to earn a lot of money. I think that's pretty okay. But does it make him somebody who is out there desperately to win titles i mean i don't don't want want to doubt him personally but but i think if you if you look through the careers of of some of these leading players or uh, some of the players where you um uh, expect them maybe to to uh, develop into to winners maybe that's something that dortmund should address more in their uh, scouting and in the in the kind of players they signing there is of course a structural issue there because dortmund have to get the players before they're big winners because afterwards they can't really necessarily afford them so yeah but, but it's a but, bit of a catch-22 situation no? yeah but but on the other hand side they also signed uh, uh players uh and um like like witzel and delaney and dahoud and and so on that were not at the beginning of the career i think they are really really good in in signing this rainers pulisics and uh, uh jaden sancho and so on but uh maybe the other part with this half or, or maybe ready players, maybe that's that's not the best what they get out there. Can they change, Lars? I mean, can, can the transfer policy change or does the, the, the improvement have to come from inside? I, I saw that Mats Hummels talked about the fact that they needed to become more like the top teams in Europe wanting to win every single game. It sounds quite trite. You'd think a footballer going on to the pitch wants to win every, wants to win every single game, but he seemed to be making the point that it does need that extra mentality and that perhaps should come from, from within rather than importing more proven winners. Well, what do you think they can do apart from changing the manager? Yeah, I think those are two ideas that ideally go hand in hand. I think Hummel spending three years at Bayern when they absolutely dominated despite not necessarily having, you know, the most convincing uh, head coaching situations. 
Uh, I think that certainly plays a part in how he views Dortmund. The point Christoph made is, is actually one that a lot of Dortmund people and, and fans have been talking about for years. I mean, as he said, they, they are really great in identifying talent and being early so they can sign someone like Haaland or Bellingham, to, to name more recent examples. But their track record signing players, let's say from the age bracket of 24 to 28, isn't really great. I mean... They have Torgan Azar, who's been a, a good signing from that uh, point of view, but a few of them uh, have really not worked out and been quite expensive at that. Uh, you know, you're looking at the André Schürrles, the Nico Schulzes, and, uh, and, and, and a few others. I think there's certainly an improvement to be made there, but I don't know that Dortmund will ever be a club that can afford to bring in the kind of players that make the absolute difference in terms of a winning mentality or the the character of the squad. I think that's... In, in Germany, uh, Bayern are too entrenched as the, the leading top dogs in that regard. So you will always be, you know, secondhand in that sense from, on, on the transfer market from a Dortmund perspective. So it makes more sense for them, for them to keep building up their uh, talent sector, if you like, and hope to keep uh, players for a bit longer. I mean, they've been able to hold on to Sancho. There's not necessarily... The expectation around Dortmund and Haaland is desperate to leave too soon. I think both Reyna and Bellingham can grow with the team. So there are some signs that they might be able to develop from within better uh, than, you know, trying to pull what basically someone like Antonio Conte is always doing, which is signing veterans and, and hoping uh, that, that it works out for one or two years. Kevin, what, what do you make of the way Lucien Favre has handled... Um things recently he's caused a lot of controversy or at least a debate about dropping Roman Berkey uh, for a game or two uh, Marvin Hitz has come in now he's out again Berkey's back you, you've almost sensed a relief in the team or maybe in, in the club that Berkey had been reinstalled there's also been a, um, a change in the formation at last you might say after Favre had been pushed from high up to change to a back three to solidify the defense he's gone back to what his intrinsically his his more preferred position and of course he's out of contract in in the summer with the club saying there's absolutely no need to talk about this we'll 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 maybe have a talk in winter where where where's he positioned at the moment in all of this i feel that there's an element of him holding the club back to some extent and that's possibly because there isn't a top option out there at the moment. But I think if you look at the teams that have, say, won the Champions League in the last couple of seasons, you look at how ferocious they are without the ball. And of course, Jurgen Klopp, a big part of what Liverpool have done in the last few years, and of course was a huge part of what Dortmund did in their uh, you know, most recent golden era as they won a couple of Bundesliga titles and got to the Champions League final. And you look at what Bayern do without the ball and how aggressive they are. And so you look at Favre's natural style, which is as a counterpuncher. And you kind of feel sometimes when Dortmund press, it's almost despite him rather than because of him. And you don't feel like Favre, much as I like him and much as I loved his Borussia Mönchengladbach team, especially uh, with Raphael and Max Kruse up front, you don't feel like there's any confidence that he's the guy who's going to take this team forward. And that has to seep through to all levels of the club because players aren't stupid. They know 
how sure a footing a coach has. And at the moment, you couldn't say with any certainty that Favre will be there beyond this season. And while it's absolutely right for Lars and Christoph to say that Bayern are ahead of Dortmund in the in the natural order of things, there's so much talent in that Dortmund squad. And you look at performances like the one away at Augsburg, the performance in Rome against Lazio, and you have to look at it and conclude they have to be able to do a bit better than that. They have to be able to eradicate that kind of performance. If they're beating most teams and they lose to Bayern a couple of times in the season and fall just short in the title race, you can accept that more. But those error-strewn performances still popping up now and again. And I can't help wondering if a different coach in a different style might actually be able to wipe out some of those defeats. I'm sure Dortmund as a club are wondering... Just the same. Uh, Lars, can you explain to us why Lucien Favre has been flip-flopping with his goalkeeping decisions? It's it's hard to, to understand from the outside why, why that's happening. And he's not really helping us discover the reasons because in typical Lucien Favre fashion, he's saying a few words, not many, but not saying anything with them. I mean, he's been asked about the goalkeeping situation uh, in like six or seven TV interviews and press conferences straight. And I think he has, hasn't given one succinct answer that makes sense. I mean, obviously, Berkey had uh, a respiratory problem ahead of the international break. But, you know, he's a goalkeeper. I don't know how much uh, lung capacity he needs to play. I mean, he was also on the bench for all the games that Hits played. So as a goalkeeper on the bench, you have to be able to play basically 89 minutes. So it's not like sticking an attacking player on the bench to give you 20 minutes at the end or whatever. So it, there, there's no actual reason that that we know of uh, other than he probably just liked Marvin Hits better for a couple of these games. And I think this is one of, once again, one of these situations where, as you alluded to earlier with the switch to the back three, this switch back to Berkey, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that wasn't necessarily only his decision, but came uh, on the pressure of both, you know, the team itself, uh, team leaders like Mats Hummels definitely talked to uh, Favre quite a bit about selection and tactics and, and also from uh, the likes of uh, Watzke Zorg and Kehl, who have all come out basically in the last few days and have reiterated without any sliver of doubt that Roman Birki is their number one goalkeeper. I mean, Dortmund signed Birki to a three-year contract extension in June and it would reflect quite poorly on the entire club if suddenly Marvin Hitz, who's a fine, decent number two, but you know, not someone who would take Dortmund to the next level uh, between the sticks if he was suddenly the number one. So... Once again, one of these situations where Favre were not understanding or not caring about the surroundings at Dortmund makes, hard, makes life more difficult for himself than it needs to be. Could I just nip in with a question for Lars, actually, about Burki? Because I've said on the show before that I genuinely don't feel Burki is a title-winning goalkeeper. I think he makes mistakes in big games. I don't think he's convincing. And that, for me, if I look at that squad, if I look at that team, that, for me, is the biggest warning sign that is flashing. Do you agree with that, Lars, or do you feel that Burki is a goalkeeper that Dortmund could win major trophies with? I guess the proof is in the pudding, and he's only won one German Cup, which was uh, when 
Uh, they faced Eintracht Frankfurt in the final, so that's not the same as facing Bayern, obviously. I think there's an argument to be made that if they wanted to improve in every position in order to uh, maximize their chances of winning, not necessarily the Bundesliga, but, you know, the cup again or go as far as they can in all competitions, then there's certainly an argument to be made that they need a better goalkeeper. And I was actually uh, quite happy, but also surprised when there were rumors about him joining Chelsea in the summer. I'm sure they were absolutely nonsense because, you know, Chelsea have too much money to buy Roman Burki as their new number one goalkeeper, uh, replacing Kepa. But uh, there was the, the the opportunity perhaps for Dortmund to improve. And I think there's definitely uh, enough goalkeepers out there that wouldn't be too expensive for Dortmund to improve them between the sticks. Because I agree with you in, in that Burki is fine for, let's say, 85% of the games of the year. And... and helps him quite a bit in, in most of them, but uh, at the absolute top level, I think he doesn't belong along the, you know, three or four or five best goalkeepers, even in the Bundesliga. And then when you look further, you know, Champions League and whatever, he's definitely not among the, you know, absolute elite in Europe. What I find interesting about this goalkeeping situation at Borussia Dortmund or, or how Lucien Favre was handling it, it's a, a, a typical thing that coaches sometimes have. So it's uh, not not happening regularly. It's that they start fiddling around with their goalkeepers. I mean, there is this famous story from back in the, I would say, even 70s at uh, Fortuna Düsseldorf, where one coach decided to play one goalkeeper one weekend and the other the other weekend. And um, in the end, he had uh, two out-of-form uh, goalkeepers who were uh, completely shaken and nervous and so on. I, I, I think that maybe one explanation is that a lot of coaches don't really have a real deep understanding of of uh, what uh, goalkeeping is a, is about and um, because if you if you know what it's about you uh, you will always make very clear decisions you have your number one and he is as long your number one until he is injured or very obviously out of form and and i i think this um, uh, tinkering uh, with with a goalkeeper position is always uh, causing uh, problems and uh, I understand that the the team and also um, uh, the bosses of Lucien Favre I think put a lot of energy uh, uh, to to um, to return to the normal or natural number one uh, how good he ever is yeah well it was noticeable how they as you said last how they all closed ranks behind Roman Burki while at the same time being at pains to say that is of course the, the coach's decision at the end of the day <laughs> but uh, you should put Burki in invert uh, in brackets <clears throat> Christoph are you basically saying that um, beyond the fact that Lucien Favre like many many coaches might not have the the feel for the specific um, situation, for the specific needs and demands psychologically for, for goalkeepers. Is this also a sign of a, of a coach some, some kind of somehow losing, it, losing his way a little bit and picking fights that are necessary? I mean, when you were talking about this, I immediately fought back to David Wagner, changing mm -hmm. goalkeepers. I fought back to Louis van Gaal, mm -hmm. changing goalkeepers. Arsene Wenger had a spell where suddenly Manuel Munia was in goal and nobody could un quite understand why. Is this yeah, it, sort of a, a symptom of some kind of deeper issues that you kind of, <laughs> you start it, making goalkeeping decisions <laughs> that are irrational? 
<laughs> yeah, you. Uh, the, it shows that you are not really uh, satisfied with how things are going, and and then you're looking and you're. And I, I think, uh, 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 and I, we know that Lucien Favre is putting a lot of energy to to think about it, or what could be the reason, what could be changed, and so on, and and so on. And um, sometimes uh, you you mentioned other examples. Um, coaches tend to think, ah, goalkeeping, a goalkeeper. Maybe I should try another goalkeeper, and then. Uh, you have uh, always have uh, arguments because no no two goalkeepers are the same. One goalkeeper has a strength so, uh, that is so and so, and the others is so and so. And then you can think, yeah, but he, he brings in the new number one, brings in a slightly uh, different element in the build up of our game, or so, or whatever. And uh, but I, I I think it's um, I, I wouldn't say it's it's a sign of a crisis or so, but I think it's a sign of a kind of uh, dissatisfaction and that you're trying to uh, try everything out to um, to get better results or better football. I think we we need to uh, be careful not to overanalyze this, uh, despite us talking about it for five minutes. Um, Because uh, this wasn't far from uh, taking Berkey out and putting hits in as, you know, his decision, but it was delaying putting Berkey back after he came back from illness and, you know, a slight hip injury. So it, it, it's not as if uh, Favre wanted to make a point of a, a goalkeeper switch. It was just delaying, you know, going back to your number one. Obviously, there's still the element of, you know, him trying things and tinkering around probably unnecessarily so but i think it's not the same as you know taking your number one out and making a huge deal out of it it's a, it's a very valid point i just don't understand why father didn't make it himself it would have been very easy to <laughs> maybe say we should that. hire lars that's yeah. a good idea comms yeah. director comms. yeah last two more questions before before we move on from this uh dortmund nexus one is you know the picture that we are painting here is, is of a manager who doesn't enjoy the backing of his club, certainly not in the long term. He has interference from above as far as tactics and personnel is concerned. And there is this contract issue where, you know, usually speaking, if a club wants to keep a manager, they do everything to renew as quickly as possible rather than say, you know what, let's talk about in three months time. Is there, in your opinion, um, any way that Favre can somehow change this dynamic and actually appear as the right man somehow and Dortmund will change their mind and think you know what better the devil you know or is there no chance and if the second is true what are you hearing on the ground in terms of new names being discussed well first of all I think it would probably take him winning the the Bundesliga over Bayern to convince the club that he's the right man going forward and we all know how unlikely that is i'm i'm pretty sure uh, everyone involved is is basically uh, in agreement that this is you know the final spell of Lucien Favre at Dortmund i think 3 years is in in modern times a decent enough uh, spell uh, for someone to make an impact and he certainly made an impact he was a steady hand th that they needed after you know 
letting go of Tuchel, the Peter Bosch debacle, and Peter Stöger lulling them into obscurity. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if there was a way uh, for them to come to an agreement on extending the contract, unless there was no other viable option, which I'm not sure that that's the case. Uh, as for uh, names, I think the, the one, or the, there's actually two in the Bundesliga that, that always get thrown around and as far as I know, there have been contacts in the past, and that is uh, obviously Julian Nagelsmann of Leipzig, who will be very difficult to pry away from there. Uh, I think you probably know better than me that Nagelsmann is really looking at uh, Real Madrid in you know maybe two or three years, not you know in the immediate future. And the other name is Marco Rosa of uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. He was obviously very successful at Salzburg. He plays the kind of football that arguably Dortmund would be better off with. Uh, in the summer, he will have spent two years at Gladbach. Uh, that's a decent first spell in the Bundesliga, so that's certainly a name to keep in mind. Um, you know, there's always the, the opportunity that things go so bad during the season that Farfel might say, you know what, I'm, I'm done six months early. That would be uh, difficult for Dortmund. They... Uh, did sign Enrico Maaßen, who's not a household name in Germany whatsoever for the uh, second team in the Regionalliga, the fourth division. They are currently topping the table. They made a point of trying to get into the third division to, you know, carbon copy a bit what Bayern are doing with their second team, where a lot of the young guys, you know, the Zirkses and, and, and the, the Arps and, and Saprit Sings and whatever uh, uh, get a good run in, in decent competition. So if Farfel were to leave before the end of the season, I think Enrico Maaßen would be the name to watch. And from all you hear around Dortmund and, and from people who know his work at mighty SV Rödinghausen in, in the Regionalliga West, I think people wouldn't be you know shocked to their absolute core if uh, Maaßen got the job during the season and actually did so well that they would just say, you know, why don't you keep it for another year or so? Is there anything positive we can say about Schalke before I let you go, Lars? I know it's not necessarily in your in your nature to say positive things about Schalke, but uh, was it perhaps not quite as bad as as we had feared as neutrals watching this game? Yeah, I, I mean, for 55 minutes or so, uh, Schalke were somewhat competitive defensively. I mean... I think Manuel Baum was probably a bit surprised by Dortmund's switch to the back four because he had this clear man-marking scheme, which probably would have worked better against three centre-backs. They were quite aggressive, which, I mean, is the absolute bare minimum in the Revere derby when you don't have any ambition to play uh, attacking football, I suppose. I think this was always going to be a fixture where they would hoof long balls forward and, and send a prayer with it. Certainly not the kind of opposition against whom a new coach would make uh, you know, a big impact. I think he's been dealt a tough hand playing uh, at Leipzig and Dortmund within his first three or four games uh, as Schalke coach. I think the game against Mainz ahead of the next international break is really the, the focal point where uh, if, if things go bad there, then you're really looking at Schalke as you know a team likely to be relegated into the second division, which is a, a crazy thought for, for people my age anyway. I think there's still enough talent there. I think they, they have enough players that should be able to get them to safety, but they definitely need to start not only scoring points, but also like attempting a shot would be nice. Yes, that would be nice. Um, thank you so much, Lars, for, for dialing in. We'll catch up with you again soon, hopefully. Thanks. 
Lars Pullman live from Dortmund there. Um, anything you want to, to add about Schalke, maybe, Kevin? I've been quite intrigued by how willing Manuel Baum has been to point out the team's flaws in public because he started off by talking about attitude and defensive flaws with the game against Leipzig, some of the goals they gave away and how their heads dropped after the first goal went in. And after this one, he was talking about a complete lack of attacking quality and conviction uh, going forward. He said, we have to start scoring goals. So I think we all know uh, just how uh, poor they are right now. And I think they've slipped into... I actually think there's quality in that squad, but I actually think they've slipped into such bad habits... Uh, you look at the back end of the Tedesco era, what they did under David Wagner in the second half of last season and the start of this one. I just think they've forgotten how to play combination football in attack and everything is very much reliant on them being solid. So I think it's honest of Baum to say all this. I'm quite intrigued to see what the players think of that because if he's going to hammer them in public pretty much every week, that's bound to have... Uh, a corrosive effect on their confidence as well. So it does seem like quite a strange tack to have taken. Yeah, well, Schalke are still staring down the, the barrel of a gun. One point from their first five games. Um, the only team worse is Mainz, who are yet to pick up anything. They lost at home to Borussia Mönchengladbach. And I want to talk a little bit about Gladbach because I thought they had a really good week. They came very close to winning at Inter, a 2-2 draw. They came back from uh, being a goal down at Mainz um, with a heavily rotated side. Yes, some defensive is defensive issues, but also the sense to me that they are improving and growing still as a team. Christoph, would you agree? Absolutely. I think it's for for Borussia Mönchengladbach is not used to um, the, to to play in the Champions League. They used uh, to play international football, but I think it's different um, to have a match in Mainz that is squeezed in uh, games uh, at Inter and against uh, Real Madrid. Uh, they're playing Real Madrid on Tuesday. And to come back there, they were 2-1 uh, behind. Uh, and I found that very impressive. You, you, they also had two away games in a row, so you, 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 have, you have to travel, you come back from Milan, and then you have to go to Mainz. And so it's, I mean, it's all pretty standard for uh, Bayern Munich and, and um, uh, Borussia Dortmund and a lot of these top, top teams, but it's, uh, it's something that uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach players have uh, get used to. And I, I think you're absolutely right. They um, uh, had, a, had a very good week so far. If they can compete in the Champions League, no, I don't think anybody truly expects them to get out of that group with Inter Milan and Real Madrid in it and Shakhtar, who we've seen can be dangerous uh, with that win in Madrid. But if they can compete and learn a few things as a group, from that and maybe get third place and get into the Europa League. And if they could nail down that fourth spot by the end of the year and qualify or the end of the season and qualify for, again for the Champions League, that's a terrific step for them to have made if they could qualify in back-to-back -back seasons. And I think what we've seen is they now do have the ability to rotate. You look at the players that he could bring on to make an impact against Mainz. And I think that is really important for their evolution 
as a club. And I think when Denis Sicari is back and is is fully fit, that's going to make a massive difference to their midfield because they've been playing without him for quite some time now. So it, it does seem to be positive for them. The only thing at the moment is some of the home performances, which haven't been great. They drew with Union, they drew with Wolfsburg, and Marco Rosa, after both games, pretty much admitted that a point was the most they deserved. Yeah, but I wouldn't put it past them to actually beat Real Madrid. Yes, you've heard it here first on <laughs> Tuesday night in the Champions League. Um, I, re- I really like what, what Gladbach are doing. I was hugely impressed with step it, the way they stepped up against a, a top opposition in Inter and came very, very close to beating them. So why, why not? Um, certainly signs that the uh, Rosa success story is, is only just beginning there. Um, I think if you're a Gladbach fan, you can be very, very happy and pleased about the present and uh, the immediate future. Um, not quite the same can be said about Hertha. Uh, <laughs> a bit of strife there. On the pitch, uh, they lost again, 2-1 at Leipzig. That can happen, of course, but they've only now picked up three points from five games, which for a team that uh, I think Jens Lehmann spoke about as Champions League contenders is, is clearly not enough. And off the pitch, there's issues as well. Uh, Werner Gegenbauer, the president, uh, being voted back in, but only with about 50% of the vote. Uh, this is historically low. Um, in Germany, democracy at club level is quite pe- peculiar, we should explain, because there's in, in all but very few cases only one candidate. Um, but even so, <laughs> if they uh, receive such a, um, a tepid endorsement, it usually shows that, that things are afoot and that the members are not happy with the way things going. Uh, what, what's going on at Hertha, Christoph? It's it's your local team, I guess. I was also surprised uh, about this uh, result in the election. It was uh, on Sunday morning at the Olympia Stadium outside. and uh, But it shows uh, what you said. There is a, a deep dissatisfaction of the um, Hertha members and I think of ma- uh, many Hertha fans about uh, the, the club has been run. And I, so I think it's a, also a vote against the general manager Michael Preetz, who is employee of the club, so he is not voted in or out. So, but but it it's a uh, it shows the dissatisfaction with the sporting development, especially uh, when you look uh, at the immense means uh, they now have at hand, and and also when you when you're talking um, off the record with the uh, new. Investors, they are also deeply dissatisfied how, how things are developing so far. But on the other hand, side, I, I think we, sh- we should give Hertha a bit more time. I, I think they, um, so they had one away win. They were narrowly losing at, at Bayern and narrowly losing, I think, with a very dubious uh, sending off of Seifuig, um after uh, four, four minutes after coming off. He um, he was uh, saw a yet yellow card, so uh, two cautions. So they were a bit unlucky um, uh, there as well. Uh, yes, and and they had these uh, two disappointing uh, home performances against uh, Stuttgart and Frankfurt. But I I wouldn't uh, write them off so far. I think they can still play a very decent or a, a decent or maybe even a, a very good season but now it's time to uh, to come out I agree with Christoph about 
they'll be fine under Bruno Labbadia. They just keep beating themselves in games. They gave away that really late penalty against Bayern. The Zayfout thing, I think, was you could argue the second yellow card is either right or not right, but it was clumsy. And the first yellow card is ridiculous from his point of view. Dedrick Boyat is not playing well, and he's a really important player for them at the heart of that defence. But I think what's really interesting about them is if you look at the last transfer window, there were signings they wanted to make. I think they wanted to bring in Jeff Ren Adelaide from Lyon. And that didn't quite happen because there have been a few deals where the, the other side of the negotiation know that Hertha have money. And I think the demands that they've placed upon Hertha in terms of transfer fee and then uh, in terms of the wages, Hertha are in the strange position where they've got money, they're trying to build a team, they're trying to build a team quickly, but they also don't want to be fleeced effectively. So it's a very difficult evolution for them in some ways. I think some of the signings, Luca Tusa, Matus Cunha, I think have been great. But it is going to take them a little while to be seen as serious players in the transfer market and not just a cash cow that can be milked by agents and by other clubs. That's definitely true. One word about Leipzig. I mean, they... Also had a good week. They beat Pashakshir here in a game that was uh, not wholly convincing, but they got the result. They got the three points against Hertha to stay top of the league. Um, going going quite strong. They have Marcel Sabitzer return, their captain. I think they're going into this Man United game with a degree of, of confidence. Um, Christoph, I think we were all a little bit worried before the start of the season, correct me if I'm wrong, that Leipzig might be hitting their natural ceiling this year after Werner, after Schick. Not a lot of money to reinvest. Bayern and Dortmund ahead of them. And Nagelsmann perhaps itching for a club that fulfills his ambitions as far as winning titles is concerned. Should we perhaps think again and, and see that maybe there is more improvement to be had and Leipzig can even go better one year, uh, can, go, can go a little bit better than they did last year? What do you think? In theory, you could uh, think before the season that um, losing Timo Werner probably makes you more flexible because you you don't have uh, the outstanding player anymore where the, uh, the game is maybe too much centered around. But uh, I think we all had the impression that it would be difficult uh, for Leipzig to deal with this loss. Also, you mentioned Schick, but I think uh, Werner was uh, the key man there. And and now you, you see in practice, uh, they are more flexible. They uh, have uh, uh, different options, uh, more options to uh, to play and are still very dangerous. Um, and uh, also at the same time, being more, more stable as they were towards the end of last season. So altogether, they made a uh, a leap forward. And I think it, it, this leap um, is not big enough to uh, to, to see uh, them as a real contender for the German uh, championship or for the title. But there will be a top three team this season again. And uh, I find that very impressive. Julian Nagelsmann said at the start of the season when he was asked about how do you replace Timo Werner, he said, you can't. You can't replace him like for like. There's no way we can bring in a guy who's going to score 28 goals in one Bundesliga season. But he said, I want goals from elsewhere. They've had eight different scorers already in the Bundesliga. We've only had five match days so far. 
Angelini was suddenly turned into this goal machine, scored a brilliant first goal against Bashak Shahir and then got another one. And I think you look at their squads and this kind of compacted season might actually play into their hands because there's quality in pretty much every position. They're having players coming back, as you quite rightly mentioned, like Marcel Zabitzer. Uh, Conrad Limer's barely played, so he, there's an opportunity to bring him in, and he's hugely important for that team. So I guess the only question Julian Nagelsmann's going to have to answer going forward towards the latter stages is in the big, big games, does he know what his best 11 is? So that's going to be interesting to see as they go forward. But I think they're in great shape. Yeah, and I can't wait to see what they can do against uh, Manchester United. I think it'll be very, very interesting. Uh, before we leave, I think we have to at least um, expand one or two sentences on Bayern. Yes, of course, we're used to them winning. Yeah, 5-0 regulation triumph against Frankfurt, who were completely outplayed and, and basically had no hope of getting anything. Yet, yet, Christoph, there's something about this Bayern team of the, the course of the last eight days I think that makes us look at them in, in a different light. Not so much um, that something has changed, but I think the performance level that they seem to have refound have perhaps been surprising and, and frightening for the opposition. Okay, Bielefeld, um, you know, you, you expect to win. Yes, Frankfurt, you expect to win. But a 4-0 win against Atletico and... The kind of uh, performances in attack and also defensively that you know go go some way of saying this is this is really the best team in Europe and continues to be. Do you still find it within yourself to be impressed by this team, or are you just <laughs> no no just no no accepted no. it and uh, <laughs> you you accept it like gravity and it's not something you get excited about? No no I I, I you're absolutely right. I also found uh, this last week and especially uh, the game against um, uh, Atletico Madrid very 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 impressive. Uh, as you said, yeah, it's it's okay to win, score four goals at Bielefeld, and maybe on a, I mean, uh, um, Frankfurt is a rock solid Bundesliga team. Um, I like them a lot, but they uh, were completely outplayed. But in a way, uh, Bayern Munich is uh, is uh, a bit out of the world right now. It's uh, uh, the best team in Europe or the best team in the world. And um, and it's, it's uh, uh, fascinating how they keep that level of intensity over such a long period. I mean, they had this around the match they were losing against Hoffenheim. You, you, uh, we were discussing it then that mm, maybe some, some signs of uh, tiredness or so were showing, but that's completely gone. Yeah, it's uh, sensational. You look at Lewandowski's form as well. I mean, we, you run out of superlatives for him, but he's got 10 goals already in the first five match days. That's more than 14 of the 18 Bundesliga clubs have scored, which just shows you how remarkable his form has been. And if you've always got, even when you don't quite hit the heights, and they have done remarkably so in the last couple of games, but even if you don't, you can drag yourself through games with that kind of quality and attack. And uh, they have been utterly remarkable in the last couple of games. 
And so have you been, Kevin and Christoph. Thank you so much for being my guests. Thank you for Lars on the Dortmund, uh, latest on the Dortmund Travails. Thank you, listener, for being with us. We'll catch up with you next week again. Bye-bye. Music.